by showing you actually the latest satellite picture Slow down. Hello everybody and welcome back to our podcast Slow News on Planet Mundus, the international students radio station in Aarhus, Denmark. I am Luisa and will guide you through today's topic. We will talk about internationals living abroad while their home countries are in a crisis. We will have the chance to listen to different people, mainly from Latin America, as this part of the world is suffering from many conflicts and crises, but mostly ignored here. To get you however started on it now, we decided on inviting first three of our fellow students to the show. Mariana, Isabella and Tiago are all from Brazil. Latest since the elections last month, their country is in a huge political crisis while they are all studying here in Aarhus. Thank you for coming. To start, could you perhaps give us an overview of what exactly is going on in Brazil? So, um, Brazil is coming from a political crisis dated back from 2013, uh, which started with the protests for uh, cheaper and better public transportation. Uh, the manifestations have started in Sao Paulo and Porto Alegre mostly, and they actually have evolved into larger protests for many other things. Uh, even though Brazil was living in a relatively good economical and political moment, Uh, the manifestation started growing out uh, for uh, whatever things like corruption, because we were also having another corruption investigation as well. So it all merged together into big protests for whatever and what happened. Uh, the first protests, they were more focused on the public transportation, which seemed more rightful and more directed. But the last ones, they were more chaotic and more violent and more decentralized. That's when things started going down because uh, the big media and other more powerful uh, forces in Brazil started uh, taking this narrative of we have to protest for everything, for everything, and then they started to uh, weaken uh, Dilma's Rousseff government that was in its first um, mandate. Uh, then the election happened in 2014, 15, final of 2014. And in the following year, they, the parliament had installed uh, an impeachment uh, process, mm -hmm. uh, which have taken her from mandate in September. In 2016. Yeah, in 2016. Yeah. So it took so it took uh, two, years. two years for that to happen. So um, we call this impeachment process that happened that took out our elected president in 2014, Dilma Rousseff, uh, a coup because she didn't commit any crimes. And her vice president, Michel Temer, became the president. And the thing is, he was from another party, so he changed all the government's ideas and became very um, right-wing. Uh, because uh, the government before was a left-wing government, and as soon as they impeached the president, it became very right-wing attacking labor's rights and trying to do some very uh, radical reforms regarding retirement. Um, uh, regarding more like working laws and stuff. Yeah, working laws. And health insurance. And yeah. then that, that was the start, I think, where democracy became very fragilized. And so after two years of this guy's as president, which were not good, <laughs> it wasn't already good. We had the elections this year, mm -hmm. and we had this candidate called Jair Bolsonaro, 
which people didn't really believe at first that he had a chance. But because he is very um, radical in his positions, he is a former military and... Actually expelled and then <laughs> military... Yeah. yeah. I think it would be like the equivalent to the Brazilian Trump, pretty much. Only worse. But what, yeah, I mean, um, and he's, I mean, he's openly had like racist comments, misogynist comments. And the thing is, we have Lula, which was our president before Jeff for eight years and he was the best president Brazil ever had. He took millions of people out of the misery line in Brazil. In fact, after his uh, government, Brazil didn't have any more people in the misery map Poverty of the hunger. United Nations. He was very important for us and got very attacked too because he was a left-wing and he was gonna run for presidency too in this um, election and he was the first in all of the um, electoral polls, they indicated that he would win easily and so they um, processed him for corruption he ended up in jail and not able to run for presidency. Mm -hmm. And then again, it's a very controversial process in which there are no real proof. People have been going to the UN and shouting about this case in the world for, I guess, more than a year now. And in the end, he, he couldn't run. And that's when Jair Bolsonaro grew. Yeah. I mean, he was already kind of strong, but like after that, he took the front um, in the elections and then like all this... Um, right wing in, in, in Brazil, even the ones that weren't like radical, they just shifted towards him. I feel like. And to get to get support uh, with Bolsonaro, the other politicians, the fact that the fact is actually Lula uh, started running the campaign in jail already. So mm -hmm. which makes the things yeah. more more complicated, even because this is what happened. I mean, the the process of uh, judging Lula for corruption is unclear. It's biased. I mean, you you can or not uh, support him or decide for his innocence. Uh, I personally believe that he was indeed the best president of Brazil with the best political moment. Though I do not believe in his total honesty, which I think it's very like none to to say. So, but still, he he was like a real good president. All this this fight against Lula was because he did exactly that. He gave like he was like a second Getúlio Vargas, which was another very important, which got a lot of working laws, a lot of working for, for the working people, you know, like for the poorer classes. And this is what enraged people the most because he, he was trying to confrontate the structure of power in Brazil, and that's how they so fiercely, so uh, efficiently run towards against him. So it's all about a big, a big power structure in Brazil, and that's why they put him. And now this power structure uh, had no other strengths. I mean, the previous uh, party that was like the opposite to like the Lula's party, the working party, was PSDB, the Social Democratic Party of Brazil. And uh, before the elections, they were like running almost equally to Dilma and to Lula. But this time, this party barely uh, appeared. They had like a 13% or less in votes and Bolsonaro had like almost 40 in the first round already. The strong powers uh, that were in Brazil before were like vanished because of this Bolsonaro wave. And even those from this party also supported him because they knew they would get uh, support from it. And it's not just him though. I think it's important to say that like he is from a party that wasn't really expressive before and then now with like this rage against like the the workers party and stuff and then the crisis and everything that has happened um his party grew like came from nowhere and like even like the in the chamber how do you call it the parliament yeah, yeah like, like, because you have the deputy in the senator's chamber yeah, yeah they elected like 
after the workers party they elected like the biggest amount of what we call like deputies so um people that have a really like religious based rhetoric like it's really um dangerous for brazil um for example in rio de janeiro now like the mayor is from a, a right-wing party and then now the government is from um, Bolsonaro's party they made it a lot harder for for example African religions for people to just express that and that like hate crimes against them that like the rates even before Bolsonaro became president is already going up so I think it's, that's also something important. So even though Bolsonaro's term only starts on January 1st next year you can already feel that the social climate has changed. But I heard that also there are political consequences from his election already like Cuban doctors who were in Brazil with the Cuban government program leaving the country. Is there already more going on? So re recently, Egypt, for example, just cancelled... Just cut. I mean, just cancelled meetings because Bolsonaro said that he would sub, uh, support the opening of an embassy in Israel. And Brazil has always been, like, diplomatically... Uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem, right? Yeah. In Tel Aviv. Just yeah. Trump And so he had meetings with the Egyptian minister and the guy, of course, after Bolsonaro said that, canceled meetings. But the thing is, Egypt and the Middle East are very important economic partners for meat, I think, right? Yeah. They buy lots and lots from Brazil of those products. And those kind of statements really have a big impact economically and in our reputation worldwide. For example, another thing he did, and this is a guy who's not in office yet. He's just saying <laughs> That's just his start. He's not in office. He's just saying these things and causing impact already without being president. Same thing happened when he said that he would cancel our ministry of environmental ministry oh yeah, yeah. which is a big ministry and it's it worse than that it will merge it with the agriculture, agriculture ministry. ministry so then like you just pretty much give <laughs> give the amazon to whoever wants to explore it which is insane and so many countries of course said that if you don't respect the environment we're not going to buy from you and so it's a guy who doesn't understand how to be a president And who's so radical that even without being president yet, he speaks, he says things that have big impact. If this is only the start, what do you think the future will hold once Bolsonaro will be in power? I feel like, especially coming from um, like a military dictatorship background, and he being so in favor of that, we really fear that it might happen again. And then, like now, for example, speaking of the ministers again, he just appointed for like the Ministry of Education a guy that says like the military dictatorship should be praised and we should like actually celebrate it. And um, the guy who's not even Brazilian, he's from Colombia. And they support a project called um, School Without Party. So, what they would be, because they think that teachers in the school, they like want to indoctrinate the kids towards the left. So, they want to like kind of control it when they're in power. So, you see like how <laughs> how no dangerous it is because they want to cut it. Like, so uh, it's, it's, it's very scary. And it, it hasn't started yet. It hasn't, it's not even 2019 yet. So, um, yeah. It's uh, if you start mentioning the uh, the whole political background and the whole amount of the the wave shit that is coming on, like 
it's it's overwhelming because you cannot even like me measure like for example how am I going to cope with this you know so this is one of our biggest struggles like now how how we are going to stand it like I, I mean I don't even want to come back to Brazil like because I don't feel that I have uh, opportunities to grow I don't think I have opportunities to work there I, I feel I will be certainly threatened like uh, if I'm working like and it's so anything. frustrating because in the past 12 years we've seen our country grow in such a nice way and our economy grow and the uh, employment rates go up. Everything was becoming better for a moment, and then we had the economic crisis. And I think towards 2010, um, something extraordinary happened that lots of uh, Brazilian people who had migrated to the US or to Europe were actually coming back to Brazil for the first time because you had more opportunities in Brazil, more employment opportunities then abroad. And then after that, we, we got hit by this economical crisis and then the political crisis and it all came to this. So right now what Thiago said that he doesn't really feel like he could go home at this moment. My parents, for example, after the elections, they were crying together, hugging each other. They felt so sad because they don't think that they're gonna see a better country, a better society while they are alive. Because this wave has come and it will stay for mm -hmm. at least, I would say, for at least 10 years. Yeah, really Things are not going to change so fast. All of this stuff we've been talking about, so, um, the impeachment that they call, which was a coup d'etat, these things, Lula being imprisoned, these things, they have not come just for one or two years. How does it feel like to see and hear all of this while you're abroad yourself, studying here in Aarhus? Like, for me, it made me feel like a bit powerless. Not that back in Brazil I could really change much, but being here sometimes I feel like sometimes I do blame myself. I don't know. For not like being there and try, I don't know. And then people from, um, they don't agree with you, they turn to you and they say like, oh, you're just saying that because you don't live in Brazil, you're just like fleeing the country and just like running away from it and stuff. So um, I think sometimes it's like, I feel like it's hard sometimes. I feel like we're definitely in a better position right now. Because, for example, my mother, during the elections, she had to take medicine for heart issues, and she never had any heart issues. Um, the people who stand for democracy were really stressed and really worried, really powerless, and that affected them uh, in every area of their lives. And, of course, it affected us, too. When he got elected, I couldn't sleep the whole night, and then we went to class, we cried together. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, it's it's not the same. You are not afraid for your life because during this campaign, uh, some attacks happened against gay people and again against everyone who I, I know. Sometimes you were red, wearing red on the street, and some crazy Bolsonaro followers would say you are communist and then beat you up on the streets. It used to be ISU's. Uh, this is the kind supporter. of stuff that's been happening. So people were starting to get a little afraid, and then trying to find ways to resist these feelings and what was happening. And I think that's what they're doing now. And for me particularly, it's a little hard because I used to live in Rio and I would always go to the streets to protest for anything. I would go at least one protest a week. And it's hard to see all of your friends and your family that are going and that are trying to change things and discussing things. You feel connected, but you feel far and powerless. And that's, for me, the hardest point. But at the same time, I do realize that 
I'm in a comfortable position right now, and it could be a lot worse if I was home. It could get dangerous. Yeah, and especially like being a journalist, like you really don't know how it's gonna be, or, like how much freedom you have, how you report on these things, how it will be censored. So I feel like being back home would have been a lot harder, especially like while visualizing what my future, like my professional future, could be. I think. So we feel safe, but uh, for example, if we think of coming back to Brazil, we do not have any idea of how it will be. I mean, we actually have an idea and we feel afraid of it because we do not want to f go back and not have a place to work because of our political mm -hmm. beliefs mm -hmm. and our, I mean, even ourselves, like if you're an LGBTQI plus person, uh, you feel completely threatened every day. This is a horrible feeling to have. However, instead of closing your eyes, I assume you want to stay up to date about what is happening in Brazil while you're here. How do you do that? I feel like social media. I, I like we do consume media like a lot. Like I do read like newspapers and things, but um, newspapers online, yeah. such as El País that we have, uh, the Intercept is a very good one. Uh, there are some YouTubers who study a lot and they talk about politics to get informed when you're far away. I also watch videos and stuff. I discuss with friends all the time and with family on WhatsApp, and we we kind of communicate through that so that's how i've been getting informed lately yeah, yeah. i listen more to i've been having more podcasts <coughs> uh, which are i mean very deep in explaining to this which is Foro de Teresina from piaui magazine turma com essa from nexo journal as well the newspaper like more independent media actually because you can get like hard news from processes and from like good sources from major news outlets like globo which is i think the better analysis are on el país intercept Brazil, Piauí as well, and you can follow a lot of journalists on Twitter actually because there's a lot of information like happening all the time. For a time in Brazil, it was actually when we were there, it was hard to follow what everything was happening because every day it was too many news, I mean mm -hmm. too many yeah. things. And it changed too fast sometimes, it's like so fast. Yeah. For, just for you to get a, an example of the rhythm of that, uh, the, the current president, Michel Temer, was for the second time accused of corruption, like uh, on the budget of campaign uh, against him. And this news was on the fifth page of the newspaper because the cover was another other thing, you know. So when a president of your country is for the second time, like third time or like fifth time indicated for corruption in itself against him, and this is on the fifth page, you can get a level of how wrong things are. So you really need to have a good balance of what the hell is going on. I know that all of you participated in the manifestations that happened since 2013, before this year's radical political campaign and elections. While now being here, informing yourselves all the time about the happenings in Brazil, what possibilities do you have to actually do something? There were a couple of protests organized because here at the university they have a center for Brazilian studies. So um, there are a few people that are like really involved with Brazil. It's not much of a protest, but like like-minded people just coming together and just um, being there for each other. So um, we, we have gathered a few times. It was nice to see like all these people like together for like a common purpose. Even though we're just so far away, it felt like a bit more comfortable, like a home away from home, I think. It, it felt like uh, we, uh, even when people who are living here and like for a longer time, they were still like, doing some things for Brazil and you still find it worth it because it's more about talking and informing people outside. I've, I've been, I'm in a very like initial phase of trying to make a post-truth edition of um, an NGO magazine that I collaborate in Brazil. 
And it's actually uh, impressive to, to notice that everyone's like, actually, when you talk about Brazil, they're like, oh, like, so you let like your Trump, AFD, like, uh, Duterte, whatever, you know, it's, everyone's concerned about this because Brazil was the fifth biggest country in the world, the, used to be one of the biggest economies as well. And how can you trust in a country like this? For me, the biggest thing that I have been doing lately is using social media to talk about what's happening and engage people in this resistance fight. And also, when we are abroad, um, I think that the best thing we can do is spread the word and form um, a solidarity, an international solidarity channel for people to get to know the facts and support the democracy in your country or at least be informed on what is happening. Uh, you see that actually like being in the middle of uh, more international students and with so many nationalities is a good way to make the world to understand what is happening. We are also privileged to be here because we are safe, we are in touch with other people and I would even say like freer because we can see from outside and we can see how it's affecting and how to inform better life to grow up with that. I, I feel like, like I'm growing with this rather than if I'm in Brazil because I would be weaker in Brazil rather than here. Yeah, because being here, we're pretty much like ambassadors for what our country, like what's going on there. And even like within the program, a lot of people have approached us and asked about it. And I feel like we're always like very open to like talk about it. And we actually like feel good about like just enlightening people about everything that's happening. But what can we as non-Brazilians do? I think mainly talk to people and spread the word. And solidarity is, international solidarity is the biggest thing that international people, foreigners can do towards Brazil right now. Uh, if you see protests being organized, go to them uh, in solidarity with your Brazilian friends or the people you know or just the population in general and be there, be present, uh, try to get involved and to be informed on what is happening. I think that's the biggest thing you can do as foreigners for the Brazilian situation right now. Besides talking and informing yourself, what can be done now in the situation to prevent Brazil from going down the road that you are afraid of? First of all, you have to respect democracy and the rules. Mm. This is, the people unfortunately elected this guy and we have to respect that. That, so that has really to be, difference. We have to like respect that has to be the basis for our resistance. Respect democracy. Which doesn't mean that you have to accept all kind of attacks mm. that are going to mm. happen against you. So what I see for the near future is lots of protesting on the streets and our politicians who are also, uh, we also elected, who are not like that, are also going to work very hard in the parliament and in the city and state chambers to try and fight these sort of measures. Yeah, we're going to have to take the streets and, and make it clear, talk to people, to the most poor populations about how some politics are going to affect their lives and these loss of rights is going to affect them in the long run and try to come together and, and protest. That's mm -hmm. what I see uh, in a short period of time. In the long run, I think, honestly, this government is going to be a big disaster and we're going to be very in a, bad, in a very bad situation. And hopefully in four years or eight years, people are going to be like, oh, well, no, we did some shit here and we're going to have to change that in the yeah. next elections. There's no way this is going to have a good outcome. Yeah. Well, I think that 
good thing about that, like Isabella was talking about, like going through the streets and everything. I feel like people, at least now, they're like more interested and like they there's more like conscious for the good and for the bad. And but like people do like follow more on politics and talk more about it. So I feel like the people who are against it, they will like go to the streets more. They will protest. Like hopefully they will, and hopefully they won't get well censored or progressive and democratical people in organizations are definitely gonna have to get together and be unified for this otherwise it's not gonna happen so it's parties it's all sorts of organizations workers organizations feminist organizations lgbt organizations black movement we all have to be together in this fight do you think the expats community that you three now make part of can be part of this unifying process to fight together with the Brazilians back home? I think so. I think so, too. Especially in big cities where you have big Brazilian populations, such as New York, Paris, London. Uh, those are cities that uh, have bigger protests and can get more people together to talk about things and to raise uh, awareness, to protest. And that has happened uh, in the past. Yeah, I think it's like, in, like in, in the long run, us, if we end up staying here in Europe as well to work and stuff, I feel like it's kind of our responsibility to make sure that those problems are in the agenda as well, like whatever we're working for um, in journalism, uh, make sure to talk about it, to fight for it, like in our workspace within journalism, I think is very important as well if you do stay here. Thank you very much, Mariana, Isabella and Tiago. Now that we heard that being away far from your country, while there's a crisis going on over there, can be very complicated on several levels, it is time to look at the possibilities that people in such a situation have, even though they are abroad. Because to try to cope with this difficult situation, and not to feel as if they had abandoned their country by leaving it, some of the expats try to help as much as they can at any level to improve the situation in the country they call home. Our colleague Meline took a closer look on such initiatives worldwide and she found out that the kind of support for the people back home from abroad can take many forms and have different impacts. Some people try to send money to their loved ones as often as they can to allow them to improve their everyday life or to help others to get out of the country. Others try to improve the situation of refugees and the way they are treated abroad. This goes from creating networks at a local level to help each other creating organizations which will impact the refugee politics at an international level. The former can be illustrated by a school founded in Uganda by a Congolese refugee. This school is for refugee children and it became one of the top schools in the country. The Networks for Refugees Voices is another good example. Created in 2011 by a group of refugees, it is still a refugee-led organization. They are working on improving the creation of processes and commitments intended to reform the international refugee protection regime through active participation. They strongly believe that it is only possible to solve the refugee crisis by including the refugees themselves, which is often not done by international organizations currently working on the issue. In that spirit, they organized the ever-first strategic level meeting of refugees run by refugees in the interest of refugees. By doing so, they are having an actual impact on the situation. Furthermore, sometimes the displaced population feels the responsibility 
to let the world know about what is going on in their country. Therefore, at an individual level or in an organization, they give conferences, write articles and tell their stories so that people can be informed. Because informing people is the best way to make them care and to have an influence on the situation. Informing the people in Europe about her country situation is also the aim of Danai Vilches. Our very own Juliette had the chance to interview her. So tell me, who is she? Well, thank you, Luisa. Well, Danae is a 25-year-old journalist from Nicaragua in Central America, and she is currently living in Oros to pursue her studies. It has been three months now since Danae left her country and the rebellion that is taking place in Nicaragua. Let's listen to her own explanation of what is happening in Nicaragua at the moment. So since April 18, uh, there is a civilian rebellion in Nicaragua. And it's a rebellion against uh, the government of Daniel Ortega that has become now a dictatorship and has killed more than 500 people, has more than 1,000 people in jail, uh, political prisoners, and there's more than uh, 1,000 people disappear. So right now, uh, what Nicaragua is going through is like a big humanitarian, big human rights crisis and political and economical crisis as well. And of course, they want Ortega to leave, but also they want justice for the people that have died. Um, most of them were uh, university students, high school students, even babies. Back in Nicaragua, Danae took part in the conflict through her journalistic work. As a freelance journalist, she covered the demonstrations and wrote stories for national and international media. She was working seven days a week to tell the world what was going on in her homeland. But being a journalist has become more dangerous than ever. During a protest, a journalist doing her a Facebook Live was killed. After that, a lot of other reporters have been harassed, detained by the police, robbed. Their offices have been burned down. Danae herself experienced threats from the government defaming her as a journalist paid by the CIA. But still... As an independent journalist, Danae felt like she had not only the right, but also the duty to inform the world about what is happening in Nicaragua. Yeah, journalism for me is my way to um, to do things for my country. It's my way to participate in my country's crisis and to help the people understand what is going on. Before the whole social unrest started, Danae decided to apply for a master's degree in Oros. When she realized the importance of what was happening in her country, she didn't know what to do. Moving abroad to pursue her studies or stay in Nicaragua to report on the demonstrations. Uh, of course, like before that, my plan was come to Denmark, you know, have a good time, do a master's degree, go away for like two years and then maybe come back. I don't know. I, I didn't like my plan was just you know i felt that i was i had enough in my country and i wanted to you know see the world uh in a more in a broad way like i wanted to meet people from all over the world travel and things like that um after uh this rebellion began of course i had a lot of doubts i um i even considered not to come Stay in Nicaragua covering the protest. Um, of course, my family was not really happy about it, and also I was in the situation like, do I like follow my uh, goals and my dreams? Like this was my dream and my goal before uh, this happened, or do I stop everything I was doing? Or do I stop my life and continue? 
with this. There were long months of, you know, torturing myself, thinking what to do. And uh, since um, I am doing the master's degree because I wanted to do the specialization more in conflict, I decided that I was going to follow uh, with the set goals I already had and come here, but um, but do things from here. So, Juliette, did Danai eventually leave Nicaragua or where did you have the chance to interview her? As you can hear, Luisa, she decided to leave Nicaragua, but at one condition keep on doing her best to help improve the situation of her country. When she arrived in Denmark, she realized that people knew very little, if they even knew something, about Nicaragua and Central America. Unless they will know there is a big human crisis at the moment. Therefore, by moving to Europe, she wants to raise attention on what is going on in this region of the world. For me, it's very important like, to tell the world what's going on in Nicaragua because sometimes the international pressure... It's the only way to, you know, to to do some changes, especially, for example, in Nicaragua, where it is not, um, you know, uh, it is not a war. It is not a um, confrontation be between two sides that have guns. It's a government that uses war guns against unarmed citizens. So, you know, international pressure is really important, and it's really important to. Uh, to say the truth about what is going on in Nicaragua and that, um, I don't know, most of the world knows what is going on there. Moving to Denmark was not easy for Danai. Of course, going out of your comfort zone is never easy. But when you leave your loved ones in a country where people are getting killed for participating in peaceful demonstrations, it is even harder to be far away from home. It, it's very hard because you feel like you're divided into things like in your, in your phone and your friends and your family are talking, of course, about what's going on in Nicaragua all the time. And you're here in this bubble, in this reality, which is hugely different from whatever it's going on there. So it's very hard. I wouldn't say like I was prepared for this. I am not. I am taking it uh, step by step. Uh, something that has really been helpful is uh, getting in contact with other Nicaraguans in, in Denmark. Actually, there are apparently non-Nicaraguans in Oulz, but there are uh, a bunch of Nicaraguans in Copenhagen and they have been angels for me, like when I feel bad they were like, you can come to my house uh, and just go there and talk and eat Nicaraguan food and it's and, and it's very 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 nice, um, I would say that if if someone is going through the same situation, look for people that, you, that will understand you because of course there is some nice people that will be, you know really glad to be with you and sit down with you to talk when you feel bad but obviously at the end of the day it's not the same because they won't truly understand what you're going through and only a person from the same country will do. Danae is very active to support her country. She still writes articles about the evolution of the rebellion. She helps translate documents in English for people who want to leave Nicaragua. Danae also takes part in events organized by the Danish Civic Alliance for Nicaragua. She explained to us what this organization is about and what kind of events they organize. When all this, you know, unrest uh, began, I think, but I wasn't here, of course, but I heard uh, that the Nicaraguans in uh, Copenhagen were like, what are we going to do? Like, we're here, our families are suffering. It's, it's not enough just to post things on Facebook. It's not enough just to, you know, well, I'm going to send you money because you lost your job or something like that. No, like, they felt that they had to do more. So they created this organization called, called um, 
Nicar Danish Nicaraguan Civic Alliance, and it's basically an organization that wants to raise awareness of what's going on in Nicaragua, and uh, in some senses wants also to become later uh, some some way to raise money for the people that have suffered, especially there's a bunch of families that have lost everything. And of course they need resources to you know, rebuild their lives. So yeah, that's what they're doing. They had they be doing a bunch of different um, events with the help with, uh, with some NGOs and, uh, and allies from, from Denmark. And um, what I'm, so are, one of their allies is Oxfam Ibis. So Oxfam Evis uh, contacted me to do um, an event here in Aarhus, in Café Mellenfolk, and to explain people what's going on in Nicaragua. So since I'm a journalist and I was very active covering the, the rebellion, I think uh, I can bring a lot of insights of whatever's going on and uh, really give an honest talk uh, with facts. and. Uh, with uh, stories as well of whatever's going on in Nicaragua to, for people in Aarhus, in not only Danish, but international students that are interested in Latin America and really want to understand what's going on. So that's what I did. Uh, and uh, I hope it, it, uh, it helps people really, you know, don't turn the other side whenever you read a headline about Nicaragua, which usually happens. You know, you're on your phone and you see uh, 10 people die in Nicaragua and you're like, oh yeah, I don't care, it's another country in Central America, whatever. And you just follow, scroll on your newsfeed. Probably this time you just want to read or you probably want to read and then you're going to think, oh yeah, what, what can I do? Maybe I just can share the news and maybe another person that didn't know about this will know. So this kind of small things that at the end of the day um, are really helpful. Thank you for these insights, Juliette and also Danai. For our listeners, if you want to know more about Danai and the situation in Nicaragua, you can follow her on Twitter. The link will be in the description on our website. Now we have heard a lot about personal experiences of people and how they cope with crises from a distance. For us as international friends and colleagues, the most important thing is first of all to listen to their stories. But also from our side, more can be done. Our colleague Denitza went to look for initiatives here in Aarhus that work to support people like Danai, Mariana, Isabella and Tiago. And she found a special place. Yes, indeed. And I'd like to introduce you to one particular place here in Aarhus that provides the space for people to do exactly this. They do truly amazing work, so stay tuned to hear more. might have guessed, I'm talking about Café Mellenfolk. I met with one of the main people who run the café, Casper, to learn more about their work directly from him. The café is part of a Danish NGO that some of you probably know of, Mellenfolkelik Zambeke, and excuse me for slaying the Danish language. They're great though, they promote peace, sustainable development and equality, and they try to really empower people around the world so they can fight for themselves. And this is what the project they're funding is all about, but more about it in a second. So, the cafe is part of this NGO, and it opened back in April this year. 
so it's run entirely by volunteers. There's currently around 130 people all together helping there. There's also a sister cafe in Copenhagen, and there's also a hostel there. So the profit of all these places goes to a project they started last year. They built a platform in El Salvador in Latin America. The project is about keeping youth away from joining organized crime gangs in El Salvador. And as you maybe know, organized crime is a huge problem in Latin America. But El Salvador especially has it pretty bad. There are about 25,000 gang members in the country and there is 9,000 gang members only in prison. To put this in perspective, that's more than twice the number of prisoners in Denmark. And catch this, criminal youth gangs are so dominant that an estimated of at least 60,000 young people belong to gangs. Salvadorian youths join gangs for many reasons, but it's commonly thought that the lack of education is one reason. And the CAFE's project targets this issue by trying to show young people there are alternatives and that there are other ways. There at the platform, volunteers work with youths, some of whom are super young, still kids, teenagers. But when you think about the work they do there, don't think about boring lecturing and talks. It's rather interactive project. It's very hands-on and engaging. They do stuff like rap politics and different workshops like theater or even make videos. And in this way, they keep young people away from the criminal life. In Casper's view, this is, of course, about empowering the youth and educating them about human rights. But it's also about teaching them about the world we live in and how they can achieve greater impact without joining organized crime gangs. Showing them another way, what opportunities they have. There was one problem, though. Because the platform is quite far from the rural areas where the youth are, Getting to the platform can be hard for youths, and that's because of the mobs and the gangs themselves. So if youth try to get to the platform, they can get in trouble. But the volunteers are resourceful. They've recently bought a bus, so they can drive around and in this way reach people easily. Actually, a bunch of volunteers from the cafe just went on a trip to the platform, and they took the bus for its first ride ever. When I asked Casper how they chose this project amongst others, he told me something I found quite interesting. And I found this interesting because we here at Slow News fully agree with that. He said that here in Europe, we often overlook Latin America. Not much about Latin America reaches the news here, even when it's a huge issue like the presidential elections in Brazil, for example. And as we heard earlier in this episode from many people, these problems are right here, at our doorstep. People live with them every day, right here in Aarhus. But so, this part of the world is often underrepresented. So, Casper and the other volunteers thought it was time to put it on the agenda. But in fact, the project in El Salvador is only one part of the great work the CAFE does. They also provide a platform for people to speak on many different issues they feel passionately about. They host events and workshops all the time. In fact, in November only, they had something on almost every single day. And the topics they cover are super diverse, from climate change to animal rights, feminism, political stuff, like the events in Nicaragua, the occupation in Palestine, and many, many more. So look them up if you haven't already. Actually, if you yourself feel passionately about a cause or an issue, you can take the initiative and get in touch with them. People organize talks, film screenings, and events there all the time. 
For example, Danae, who you heard from earlier in this episode, gave a talk on Nicaragua this Tuesday. It's also a really international and diverse place with all the international volunteers. And of course, with all the subjects they're involved in, which are from all over the world. So make sure to check them out. I surely will, Denita. Thank you so much. As we now have looked at two different sides on how to cope with a crisis back home while being abroad yourself, a personal perspective from our South American friends and a local perspective from Café Mellenfolk in Aarhus, we would like to wrap it up now and bring it all together in the stories of two women. Valerie and Louise interviewed Selma Vital from Brazil and Claudia Adiat, two women with a lot of expat and activism experience. That's right, Luisa. Selma Vital is originally from Brazil, but she's lived outside of her home country for the past 20 years. She recently started up her own company where she coaches teachers in teaching methods via online courses. We get in touch with Selma through the Brazilians that you heard in the beginning of our podcast because they participated in two demonstrations in Aarhus that Selma organized during the elections in Brazil. They left Brazil 20 years ago, but I feel that they never really left because uh, we are part of this, even though we're outside. And this is what some people don't understand, that they say, why do you care if you are outside? There's some kind of things, and this is not nationalism or patriotism, but um, it's something that it's inside you. And that's mine. It's like it's, nobody can take that from me. Even though I'm going to live here for the rest of my life or in any other place, um, and I get other citizenships, I don't know, but my, I'm Brazilian. And this is something no government can take from me. As Selma still feels very strongly about Brazil, the recent election of the Brazilian presidential candidate Jair Bolsonaro came as a shock to her. I just heard about this man, I think, two years ago because uh, they deposed the, the president, uh, Dilma Rousseff. She was um, accused of some kind of improbability that later was proved wrong, but they impeached her. And I just saw this man, like, called my attention because at the time of this, when they decided that, I was in Brazil by chance. I was there for one semester. And I went to a public space where we could watch, like, in a big screen uh, the voting and this man came to vote against her and offered his vote to um, uh, a torturer, a person that was like a disgusting person that in any other country would be ashamed to offer like he was voting against the president that was elected democratically elected and he dedicated a vote to a guy who was a torturer that you know, make things worse, to make everything worse. This guy tortured this woman when she was a prisoner during the dictatorship. So uh, that's something so shocking that at the moment, of course, it caught my attention. And since then, I saw that his popularity was like increasing. So it was like a shock to me, like to see that this person existed. <laughs> so you can imagine the shock later to know that he was. Uh, you know, getting attention and being uh, a candidate that had any chance to be president. Even though she lives far away, she felt the need to do something. But what can she do for Brazilians while living in Denmark? 
I thought that, you know, during the, the campaign, I thought I had to do something. I didn't know exactly what. So I talked to some friends and I said, I want to organize some kind of demonstration here and see Brazilians and, and Danish people, people from, you know, all parts that would be interested because I think it's bad to everybody. Of course, it's worse for Brazilians, but when you see that this happens, you start thinking that can happen in other places, right? And we know in Europe things also are like very going to the right in so many senses. So I thought maybe people would be interested. And someone said, well, why don't you create an event on, uh, on Facebook? As we mentioned earlier, Selma organized two protests to unite the Brazilians who live in Denmark and who wanted to contribute to the elections while they were far away from their country. For the second protests, more than 40 people turned up and they managed to unite Brazilians from several different groups, including the students from the Erasmus Mundus program and from the local capoeira dancing group. Who cares, right? It's Aarhus, Denmark. But I was really happy because um, we could show to Brazilians that even though we're far away, even though we are not being affected directly by that, um, we, we cared about, we were worried about what was going on in Brazil. But I think people appreciated our little effort here, at least my friends and friends of people who were involved in the movement. As it was the case for Tiago, Isabella and Mariana, it is also difficult for Selma to distance herself from the situation in Brazil, even though she lives in Denmark. I have a son, he's 14 years old, and he is the weird because he keeps saying, get out of Facebook, don't stay connected all the time to everything that is you know, going on there because he can't see how much this depressed me and I'm not the only one. I decided to go to Brazil actually, to vote because I couldn't vote here. My, I wasn't able to transfer my registration on time. So I did something crazy. I, I went to Brazil and stayed there six days and came back only to vote. And my entire family thought I was nuts. They were like, they couldn't believe. They said, I assure you, I'm coming here only to vote. And my vote probably didn't help, but I, the feeling to, you know, to sleep at night knowing that I voted against a fascist, it's something that While Selma has been very active so far, she doesn't plan on stopping here. She hopes to organize more protests and to form a resistance group in Aarhus. But why should people in Denmark even care about Brazilian politics? Is Brazil and the situation not too far away from life in Denmark? This is something that we are thinking about, like what can we do and what kind of What I think I would like to is like to get a group, like a resistance group outside. There are a lot of like groups like this outside of Brazil that we call resistance. So in some places they are more traditional. I know that in France, for example, there are three or four strong groups connected to groups in Brazil. Here in Denmark we don't have apparently, but what I thought was like at least to formally to inform like the Danish government about things that I think, for example, how can you keep business with a country when you buy, for example, soy or some other products from Brazil, knowing that this man said he's going to take all the land from traditional native Brazilian groups, indigenous groups. So I think ethically, um, I would hope that 
Denmark would do something like to position um, the self against, the, the, I'm sorry, the country against this kind of thing. So I don't know the impact this would have. I don't know how much Danish government would uh, hear us. Uh, this is a dream at this point. I don't know exactly how we're going to um, to proceed on that and to organize. But uh, my dream, if we could do something here, is to make uh, Danish people aware of what's happening there. Selma is not the only person in Denmark who's trying to make Danish people more aware about the situation in her home country. There are political crises in several countries around the world that are underreported, as Denita mentioned earlier. Mexico is another Latin American country that we tend to hear very little about in the Danish media. Claudia Adeat is originally from Mexico City and has been living in Copenhagen since 2007, where she works as a curator, freelance photo editor and culture producer. She's founded the organization Secultura, together with friends, which she uses to organize different cultural events related to Latin America in Denmark. Claudia is also actively involved in an organization that tries to inform people in Denmark about Mexico and to promote human rights in the country. I'm part of a, a group which is called Conciencia Mexico Dinamarca. And uh, this group, it's uh, well, the, yeah, the objective of this, this group is to, to inform people here what's going on in Mexico in, in, in relation with um, or regarding the political situation, especially human rights. Claudia explains the complex political and social situation in Mexico. It's difficult to paint a picture of her country in just a few words. If I have to define just in general, I think the country is, um, is invaded of corruption, is, uh, is full of corruption. So the government for a long time, for many, many years, they, they've been practicing the corruption in a high, highly level. And uh, so now we are in a in a level where the impunity has um, permeated the, the whole society and its uh, influence in different ways. For example, uh, in terms of justice, it's really difficult to get justice in Mexico. So there are many many people in jail that is not being trained on trained for many years. For example. And then we have uh, the narco-traffic in Mexico has grown up in the last 15 years, completely accelerated. So before it was only the North Mexico, it was focusing some states in Mexico, and now it's all around the country. So that means that there's a lot of violence, there are a lot of people dying. So there's a lot of young people involving in this uh, very... Well, in this dangerous situation because also poverty. There's a lot of poverty in the country. So Mexico is not a, a poor country, but um, the distribution of, uh, of wellness, of rich, of, um, of the money, it's, uh, it's very unfair, it's uh, um, unbalanced. Of course, it generates a lot of... Um, black market. Also, we have problems with the, the immigration going to the, to the United States. 
state or now there's a political, a difficult political situation in between Mexico and, and USA. People are very angry now. People are scared about the, the, the violence in Mexico. So that means that the society also has been um, pressing too much uh, in, their, in their daily life. So people don't want to go out, in, for example, by night because they are scared and then they don't believe in the institutions, they don't believe in the government. Right now, there's, uh, things are changing because uh, we, in a, in a week time, I think, the, in the first, uh, first December, on the first December, we will have a, a new president, which we really have it now, but uh, it was elected in July. And uh, that's a big hope now about uh, changing the, the regime on the of Mexico, the government at least. So but there's, uh, there's, there's a big question, actually, because there are many things happening in Mexico right now. As we heard earlier with Selma, Claudia also felt that she needed to do something for her country, even though she lives far away from it. I love my country, and I think it's, uh, it's a good idea when you live in a country which is a, a really developed country in terms of democracy, to contribute to the country when we talk with people in Mexico about democracy, how does it work here? Sometimes it's like inspiration, they can use it as inspiration. Um, and then I couldn't be here without doing anything because emotional, emotional reason and because I really would like to see my country as a, as a really democratic country. I think we need to rescue and we need to show the, the best things It might not always seem as though being politically active for Mexico while living in Denmark makes any difference. However, Claudia explains that being organized and standing together can actually change something in Mexico. We have arranged a big demonstration in 2015, I think, when the president, the Mexican president, came to Denmark. Uh, we were completely uh, disagree about this invitation. So we have uh, we have sent a letter to the Queen. She is the one who invited president from uh, around the world and we sent this letter to them with uh, just pointing all the, um, the violations to human rights he has been doing in, in this almost six years and then we got answer from the foreign minister and also for the human the Danish human rights institute who will at that time sign an agreement with the Mexican government, and uh, then we had a demonstration on the street, and it was covered by the media. And at that time, I don't know if it was because of us, I think yes, we, we influenced that, uh, but also because the international media, they, they have their focus in Mexico. Then we 
we were interviewed in, uh, in television as well. So I think that was the, the highest moment for, for our group to be heard by, by Danish. When we have these people here that live in Mexico and we ask them, they say, yes, it's very important that you keep going. And that's true because when the international media is uh, talking about the situation in our, in our country, so that means that you are not alone as a country, you are not isolated, and people outside can see what's going on there. Thank you, Louise, for these interesting interviews. We've had a lot of insightful voices in our podcast today. Most of the crises we've mentioned don't make it to the news in Denmark. And if they do, they are mostly reported as negative stories. However, we would like to send you into the weekend with a positive spirit. For us at least, the stories that people shared give us hope. You can actually do something even when you live far away from your home country. Not all actions will always have a big impact. But even if they can just help us gain a better insight into political crises and countries, it is worth continuing to stand up. Tune in again next time to listen to our Christmas special. We will be talking about something appropriate for this slow and festive season. Slowing down and some movements that have really taken it to the next level. <laughs>